0: Well, it's always a pleasure to be here and fellowship with you and worship with you. Since the bulletin doesn't have my title, I'm going to just tell you what my sermon is about this morning. I've long been struck by Jesus' holistic attitude toward healing people. When he healed them, he didn't just heal them physically. We often spend a lot of time thinking about how he healed them physically. But... He didn't just heal them physically. He healed them spiritually. He healed them emotionally. He even healed them socially. And in one case, he healed them theologically. Now you might wonder how you heal somebody theologically. Well, the way you heal someone theologically is that you transform their picture of God from a negative picture to a healthy picture. And the other thing that I note is that he healed all who wanted healing no matter who they were or what they had done. Now, sometimes, as in the case of Lazarus, he had to wait to heal them until after they died. But he still healed them. Jesus is in the healing business and saving business. So, we're going to look at several stories of Jesus' healing as illustrations of what I've just pointed out. And uh, maybe from then on, when you read these stories in your Bible, uh, you will remember the ways in which Jesus heals us. So so I'm going to give you a list uh, illustrating some of the points that I've made. If I were to look up every text in the sermon, we would be here a very long time, although I do see I have 40 minutes, so we may look up more than I had planned so let 's look at the point that Jesus heals us all, no matter who we are or what we 've done. He healed demoniacs. these were people who were definitely marginalized by society and I, I think of the two demoniacs that he healed in Matthew, uh, also Mark. they lived among the tombs, they cut themselves they they uh, Made a lot of racket. They disturbed people around them. Jesus healed them when they reached out to him. He healed the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman, and in in Jewish understanding, women who or men who were who were not Jews could not receive healing from God. They were excluded from any type of salvation. But Jesus healed her daughter showing his disciples that he could heal anyone, no matter whether they were Jew or Gentile. Uh, And by the way, the demoniacs I mentioned were Gentiles as well. he apparently, and this may not seem like an amazing thing, but he apparently healed Simon the Pharisee. Now why would I include a Pharisee on anyone Jesus can heal? Well, we're pretty hard on the Pharisees today. We, we tend to look at them as outcasts in our minds. Pharisees are bad people because they criticize other people and they, they are judgmental and, de- and demanding and, and not kind. And, and so we tend to be pretty hard on the Pharisees. But Jesus healed a Pharisee. He healed a Samaritan leper. Remember the ten lepers that Jesus healed? Uh, One of them was a Samaritan. He was the only one who remembered to thank Jesus after he was whole. So the point is that Jesus will heal anyone who wants healing. He won't force his healing on us, but he will heal us uh, if we want him to. Well, let's look at a point we're very familiar with. Jesus heals us physically. Jesus healed at least two paralytics. You can't get more physically ill than to be paralyzed. You remember the man in Mark 2, and if you'd like, you can turn your Bibles to that since we have time. I think I'll have you uh, go ahead and do that. Mark chapter 2. He was at Capernaum, verse 1. And uh, word spread out over the community that he was there. And immediately, everybody gathered into the house where he was staying, so much so that there was no room to get in the front door. They were jammed into that house. And he was teaching them. And along came some men bearing a paralytic. The paralytic could not come himself. He had to have others bring him. And he came to this house, and there was no way in. I mean, no individual could get in the front door, let alone a paralytic. And so they climbed up on the roof. And by the way, uh, the, the roofs of that part of the world at that time were tile roofs. Uh, there were tiles laid over one another. And so to get through the roof, all you had to do was remove tiles and, and make an opening. And that's what they did. They removed a whole bunch of tiles and uh, they had some ropes that they managed to find and they lowered this man down. You can imagine the crowd and what they're thinking as this uh, paralytic descends from the ceiling. I've always wanted to vent a mouse in the corner and, and watch that happen and how people would respond. Uh, they, they put him down right in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at the paralytic. And it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick paralytic. Now, Jesus always honored people's faith when he healed them. So when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you immediately, the scribes, the Pharisees, who were sitting there, started muttering among themselves, who is this man who dares to forgive sinners? Only God can forgive sins. We're going to come to another point after the physically part, so I'm going to come back to the story, because... When Jesus forgave his sins, he healed him physically. It was the same thing. And you might wonder what the correlation was. There are certain uh, diseases that a person can get through a poor lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle, that leads to paralysis. It's possible that this man was paralyzed or he had lived a sinful life and was feeling so guilt-ridden that it had paralyzed him. Allowed uh, loud disease to enter his mind. So uh, at any rate, Jesus forgave him and healed him in the same breath. Uh, he healed a woman who had constant bleeding. We're going to come back to her. He healed several blind men, Bartimaeus and the man born blind. And he healed a number of lepers, I've already mentioned Simon, the ten lepers, and then there was the first leper to approach him, which we'll also talk about more in depth. Uh, so, let, the p- point I think I failed to mention in my list is that Jesus heals us spiritually, and that means he heals us from sin. I believe that the best metaphor for sin is illness, that sin is something that happens in our minds by choices we make, sometimes that we fall into it because of other cho- of choices other people have made that affect us. And that the best metaphor then for getting rid of sin is, is healing sin. And I think that uh, Jesus exemplifies us in this story when he forgives the man who is a paralytic. So, they're arguing about whether or not he can forgive sins. After all, only God can forgive sins. Of course, they're denying that Jesus is God. Jesus says, what is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. In the Greek, your sins are forgiven you, are only forgiven. Three words. Arise, take up your bed, and walk are five words. But then he says, But that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go your way into your house. Seven words. So Jesus is making it very emphatic that he has the power through his word to forgive. And it doesn't matter whether he says three words or whether he says seven words, the effect will be the same. That was the end of the paralytic needed to be carried around. He jumped out of his his, uh, bed that he was on and praised God for being healed. So now I come to my favorite kinds of healing. Jesus heals us from social stigma, and thus emotionally and socially. There are three stories that illustrate this. The first one is the first leper that Jesus healed. Now, lepers were outcast because the Levitical law commanded that lepers leave their homes and live in outlying areas. Wherever they went, this is again part of the Levitical law, they had to cover their lip and chant, unclean, unclean. So they had to go around like this, unclean, unclean. And this is what this leper, whom Jesus healed, had to do. He had to constantly go around casting out uh, his word, unclean, unclean. Now, leprosy was referred to by the Jews as the stroke. They meant by the stroke that God had struck the leper with punishment of leprosy. In fact, in the ancient world, all sickness, all misfortune, everything bad that could happen to a person was viewed as punishment by God. So the leper, knowing he was totally outcast, and by the way, leprosy was the most feared disease because it was considered the most dreaded and the most, therefore, the most punitive of all the diseases. You were the most evil if you had leprosy, except maybe for demonic behaviors. So this man didn't know if Jesus would heal him. He was afraid to come to Jesus. But he thought it might be worth a chance. After all, he had heard that Jesus healed many other people. So on his way to find Jesus, of course, he tries to narrow his focus on Jesus and not worry about the people who were trying to get him to go back where he belonged. But he thought about what to say to Jesus when he found him. And I can imagine him thinking, can you please make me clean? But that sounded as though he doubted Jesus was able to physically heal him. By the time he reaches Jesus, the crowd around him is huge. That is, the crowd around Jesus is huge. So he starts in an outer center, possibly by some women, because women are a little more compassionate sometimes in, in a very legalistic, rigid society. So he starts where the women are, but they, they, they pull away and look at him in horror. And the men start telling him, you need to leave, get out of here. Uh, you don't belong here. And he has to stay unclean the whole way, so he advertises who he is and what he's coming for. And finally, he gets told, Jesus won't heal you. He's never healed anyone of leprosy before. And that gives the leper an idea of what to say to Jesus. Finally, he sees Jesus just a few steps ahead of him. There's a pause of silence as the crowd waits to see what Jesus will do with this human specimen of divine anger and punishment. Jesus waits for him to speak first. And you can imagine that intense stillness as the scorn surrounds him like a suffocating plastic bag, making it hard for him to think, let alone speak. The only thing he can think to do is to bow with his face to the ground, and so he throws himself face down before Jesus, showing him the utmost reverence of his time. And then he says, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. What happens next is not hard to know in sequence. Because Mar, uh, the gospel writer ties it together and links it closely together. Does Jesus speak first or does he act first? I'd like to think he acted first. Jesus puts his hand on the shoulder of the leper. Now, you weren't to touch a leper. It was very contagious. You could get leprosy. You weren't to touch a leper. But Jesus places his hand on the leper. And then he says, I want to be clean. It's not enough for Jesus to just physically... He could have spoken the word and he would have been done with leprosy. But Jesus wanted to restore him emotionally and socially. And in a sense, he restored him theologically and spiritually because he made it clear, this is not punishment. This is my opportunity to make him whole. The second story that deals with uh, emotional and social healing is the woman with a hemorrhage. This woman was considered unclean by Levitical law. When a woman had her period, she had to go outside the camp. Anything she sat on, anything she touched, was unclean until the evening. <clears throat> she couldn't go near a man. She couldn't do anything. She had to be uh, regarded as taboo for that period of time. This woman constantly had bleeding. You can imagine she's not married anymore. She's had this for 12 years. Her husband has probably long since abandoned her. Her family really doesn't want anything to do with her. She barely manages to eke out an existence living probably off of her dowry and maybe some, some sympathetic friends who take her in. But There she is, with this terrible condition, regarded as an outcast, regarded as unclean, regarded as punished by God. She would go to healers, she would go to uh, the people who, uh, the priests and, and rabbis trying to get help, and they all told her she was being punished by God. So she decides to try Jesus. And as she follows the crowd that's following him. She thinks, how can I get get his attention? Nobody will let me near him. He He probably won't want me to be near him either. If I could just do something, maybe I could touch the fringe on the edge of his garment. All Hebrews were to wear a fringe on the garment signifying their loyalty to Yahweh as their only God. And so she manages to slip through the crowd and manages to get next to Jesus. And she, she's crouched down so that no one will notice her, and she reaches out and she touches his fringe, hoping that if she touches the fringe, it won't make him unclean. And she's about to slip away, feeling something happen to her body, feeling the bleeding stop, feeling power and energy and life coming into her body, and, and she's overjoyed. But she's trying to slip away without anyone noticing her when she hears Jesus stop and say, "Who touched me?" And she doesn't. She she almost can't move shakes her. Jesus asks, who touched him? And the disciples say, Lord, you know, we're in a crowd and everybody's touching you. They're pressing on you. How can you say, who touched me? And Jesus said, no, but I felt power go out from me. Who touched me? Finally, he looks right at her and she can't hide anymore. So she comes toward him Now Jesus is a very busy person. He's really on his way to try to heal Jairus' daughter who ends up dying because he's delayed. And uh, this woman senses that he's in a hurry, but she takes the time to tell her story. In such and such a year, I started bleeding and I went to such and such a doctor and she tells this lengthy story. Well, Jesus listens. And then, looking at her with a smile when she finishes, he says, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. It's not enough for Jesus to heal her physically. She could have just slipped away, been happy, excited that she was well. But Jesus wanted to restore her emotionally. And socially, and in every way. My favorite story of Jesus' healings is the woman with a bent over back. Uh, We can read the story, and this is one I want you to turn to in Luke 13. And we start with verses 10 to 17. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bowed together and could not lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was straightened and glorified God. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and he said to the people, There are six days in which people ought to work, and then come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And Jesus answered him and said, You hypocrite, does not one of you on the Sabbath set free his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, these 18 years, and one version has these long 18 years, be, bound, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. We don't know exactly what she suffered with. It could have been scoliosis. It could have been kyphosis. Whatever it is, she couldn't straighten herself up. And it's very hard to walk when you have to be bent completely over Now, in keeping with the understanding of his day, Luke sees her as uh, suffering due to a spirit that she had. And that was a view that meant they were under demonic control, that they had welcomed the demons into their lives, and that they had therefore uh, were suffering under, again, divine punishment. What is significant to me is that she comes to the synagogue late, Jesus is teaching the people, and all of a sudden, here's this woman. And I don't know if you know this, but in Jesus' day, the synagogues had a separate place for women to sit. Sometimes it was in the back, sometimes in a balcony along the side. Uh, It's possible that there was a balcony like that. And sometimes there was a curtain in front of them they couldn't see. They couldn't participate easily in the worship service. A lot of times they sat and gossiped because that was all they had to do. This is especially true today in Orthodox synagogues where uh, women are behind a curtain and they only know enough Hebrew to read it, but they don't understand it. So they don't really know what's going on in the service. At any rate, my question is Did she come out of the woman's arena and start walking down toward Jesus? Is it possible? Jesus sees her and says and motions her to join him Come here. Come here. To do that, she has to go all the way through the men's section and come up to where the leaders were. teaching and, and uh, leading the worship service and he had to go, she had to go up there. So Jesus says, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And then he does something that must have stunned the people. He doesn't lay one hand on her. He lays both hands on her back. And immediately... She straightens right up. And she begins praising God. Now, this is not your usual worship service. Jesus has done something unusual. And so the the synagogue leader, he can't completely exclude her from worship because occasionally very honored women did participate in synagogue worship services from the front. But he does complain about the day on which she's healed. Woman, you should have stayed back where you were. You should not come to be healed on the Sabbath day. Stay, stay back until sundown, at least. And so Jesus points out that they would gladly pull an ox or a donkey out of the ditch on the Sabbath and lead it to water. Then he says, And shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. Notice how he changes a little bit the thinking of being having a spirit. She is bound by Satan. He has been tyrannical to her. He has mistreated her. This is not punishment. This is something that he has done to her. And more than that, he refers to her as a daughter of Abraham, which is the highest, most respectful title a person could give a woman. It was a high honor to be called daughter in Jesus' day. It's the highest honor to be called daughter of Abraham. So Jesus, by breaking the norms of society about women, especially sick women, Restores this woman emotionally, physically, spiritually. Now I come to the story of Jesus healing someone theologically. I've already mentioned this in conjunction to another story, but I separate this out from spiritual healing because it involves almost all Jesus' stories of healing, but it's most marked in John 9. If you want to, you can turn there. Uh, It's the first part of the chapter. In John 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And here's the thing. The rabbis argued relentlessly about whether the man sinned in the womb, as an infant in the womb, or whether his parents sinned, the reason he was born blind. And there were two sides to that in terms of a decision. Uh, one side was the man that sinned, that is, the baby sinned in the womb and did something he shouldn't have done, and so he was born blind. The other side said, no, that's impossible. It must have been the parents who sinned. So the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus will forever answer the ancient question about the cause of suffering. Is God the cause of our suffering? Is suffering punishment from God? Or is it the result of living in a sinful world? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him I love the way Jesus doesn't take sides neither one is right do you know how many debates we have where neither side is right there's lots of them Jesus doesn't take sides he simply says what an opportunity for me to reveal God's glory and his desires to heal I would like to propose to you that this should always be our understanding of things when we suffer, because so much of illness is genetically disposed or uh, resulting from traumas we've had or resulting from other things. It's, it's important that we not, real, not think of it as punishment from God. I believe that Jesus always wants to heal us, and He always will if we want his forgiveness and healing love. But the reality is that in a sinful world, sometimes Jesus waits to make us whole. In the story of Lazarus in John 11, Jesus waits after his friend Lazarus had been dead four days to show up. The sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, sent him word as soon as he got sick Jesus, the one you love, Lazarus, is ill. And Jesus waited and let him die. And that's a hard thing for them to experience, and it's a hard thing for us. We always want Jesus to make us whole, and I believe that he always will in some way make us whole when we pray, even immediately, such as emotionally healing or uh, uh, in some ways making us physically more comfortable. But... Jesus let Lazarus die, I think, to remind us that he is always with us in spirit when we have to experience death and we can't experience healing. So he raised Lazarus as a, from the dead as a type of all of us who believe in him. If we believe in him, he will heal us all in the last days. But that doesn't mean, and I want, to, I want to stress this, that doesn't mean he can't heal us now. He often does. I have witnessed him healing people many times in life. Um, I think the most dramatic one I've witnessed in my own family <clears throat> was my father, who when he was 86, contracted pneumonia. <clears throat> and he couldn't get into see his doctor. He was, he's a card-carrying veteran. Uh, he couldn't see it, and to see his doctor, they wouldn't listen to him when he called, that he was really sick, and uh, he waited and waited, and eventually his lung collapsed, uh, and it looked like he was not going to make it. Uh, he finally, in order to get treated, had to have someone take him to ER at the Veterans Hospital in Fresno, and he went in uh, to surgery on, the, on, I think, a few days later. They, ha- they tried to implode his lung uh, going through the throat, but uh, it was stuck so, had been stuck so long that they couldn't implode it. And so they went in surgically, left it, leaving him a big scar across his shoulders and imploded the lung manually. The doctor who saw my mother after the surgery uh, did not give much hope. My mother asked him when he would be able to come home. He said he will never come home again. I was able to go six weeks later, pick my father up, and take him home. So I know that God can heal. Uh, And you you might think, well, why would he heal an 86-year-old man who's... uh, kinda of lived his life, hasn't he? Well, he's 95 today. And he still plays the organ for the St. Lena Church. Every other Sabbath. He's cut back a little bit. I, I tell that story so that you can be encouraged that we can seek healing from God. He may heal us partially. Sometimes I, I was an, had an anointing service because I contracted Lyme disease and it was rapidly taking over my body. And God was present and said to me, as your days, your strength will be. He didn't heal me. I still have Lyme disease. But he has, he has honored that statement every, every day since. I have never missed a class because of Lyme disease. So I would invite you to seek God's healing in your life for whatever needs you have emotionally physically mentally spiritually socially in every way and ask God to heal you I believe he will let's pray father in heaven we we thank you for these stories of Jesus healing I believe you would love to heal us more than you do and I believe that you always do heal us in some way when we ask you to. And so we ask for healing in our lives today as we live for you, as we put our trust in you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.